Now we're going to look at God's Word together, and uh, we're reading this morning from 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Uh, if you want to know where it is, it's just before 2 Chronicles. <laughs> oh, that doesn't help at all, does it? Uh, but I know it's going to come up on the screen. And um, uh, Chronicles is probably one of those books we don't read very much because it's mainly a long list of names. Uh, but God has put them in the Bible because he wants us to know that every person matters and that actually people's connection with each other matters as well. But we're going to read about what happened after King Saul died and the nation of Israel was going through a, a greatly turbulent time. They didn't know who they should have to lead them. Should it be David? Should it be one of Saul's family? And uh, we're going to read about how the people of Israel began to gather around David, wanting him to be the king as God had promised. So I'm reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 23. And I am going to include some of these names and people because they're here in God's word. And it's important for us to see what God tells us about them. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. Men of Judah carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. Men of Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100. Men of Levi, 4,600, including Jehoiada, leader of the family of Aaron, with 3,700 men, and Zadok, a brave young warrior, with 22 officers from his family. Men of Benjamin, Saul's kinsmen, 3,000, most of whom had remained loyal to Saul's house until then. Men of Ephraim, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800. Men of the of half the tribe of Manasseh, designated by name to come and make David king, 18,000. Men of Issachar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs, with all their relatives under their command. Men of Zebulun, experienced soldiers prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David with undivided loyalty, 50,000. Men of Naphtali, 1,000 officers together with 37,000 men carrying shields and spears. Men of Dan, ready for battle, 28,600. Men of Asher, experienced soldiers prepared for battle, 40,000. And from east of the Jordan, men of Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, armed with every type of weapon, 120,000. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron, fully determined to make David king over Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. The men spent three days there with David, eating and drinking, for their families had supplied provisions for them. Also their neighbours from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun and Naphtali, came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules and oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle and sheep. For there was joy in Israel. So this joyful gathering of people uh, to make David king. A great feast as well from the sounds of it with all that fig cakes and raisins and 
cattle and sheep. Uh, it was a, a massive barbecue, probably even bigger than the barbecue on the beach at the youth camp. And um, uh, it was a, a fantastic, uh, joyful time, we read at the end there. Now, among those names, we were told one or two detail about some of the tribes uh, who came to make David king. And in particular, you might have noticed that as well as swords and spears and all the other things that are mentioned there, it's verse 32 this morning I'd like us to notice, where we're told about the men of Issachar. They understood the times and knew what to do. And there were 200 of them uh, with their relatives under their command. And I don't know about you, but I know that we live in puzzling times where it can be difficult to know what to do. Who could possibly advise Boris Johnson to know what to do about Brexit? He's got a plan. Okay, that's fine. But who could really unpick the great knot of Brexit that we're in? Puzzling times. Who knows what to do when we see an enormous change in what people believe is right and wrong, even over the last five or ten years? How do we know what to do? There are people who are asking this question as well. How do we live? What's right and wrong? And maybe there's something we can learn from the men of Issachar today. I hope that there might be. Since the dawn of time to 2003, apparently five exabytes of data were produced in human knowledge. That's quite a lot of information and data. But that same amount of information was produced in our world in just seven years, from 2003 to 2010. So in seven years, the same amount of data the world's produced was, was made in seven years since the dawn of time to that point. 400 hours of YouTube video is uploaded every minute. Every minute, there are 400 hours of video that you can watch. And that's a lot of information, isn't it? We're in a world saturated with information, and yet we're puzzled about what to do. How do we solve the world's problems? And uh, the play to, to start, of course, is to pray for wisdom, um, to respect the Lord. Um, but let's have a look at these men of Issachar this morning and see how they knew what to do and what we can learn from them for today. We're told that they were understanding, they were wise. To work out what to do, they'd obviously made some investigation. They had found things out. They were discerning people. And they clearly did it together. They had, although 200 representatives, their chiefs were there, uh, as a, a tribe, they were united in backing David as king. And the circumstances of, of the nation were shifting and changing. David is about to be made king. Saul is dead. And even the Benjaminites, did you, did you notice that? The, ben, the tribe of Benjamin, who was Saul's family, even they had now come over to favour David as king. And they all met at Hebron to turn the kingdom over to David. And these discerning people from the most distant part of the nation, this occurs one of the furthest points away, 
they too had discerned that God was in it, that this is the right thing to do. And Charles Spurgeon once said that discernment is not telling the difference between right and wrong. Discernment, he said, is telling the difference between right and almost right. And that's often the challenge we face, isn't it? We know the things that are wrong and the things are right, especially if we read God's word, we have a sense of what's right and wrong in our conscience as well. But what's really difficult is how do I choose between what's right and what's nearly right? How do I make the difference there? And these people were able to do that. In a broader sense, we could say all of us, uh, we believe the truth of the Bible, that we have a broken friendship with God, don't we? And that's the reason for the mess in our world, these knots and problems. And what do we need to do? Well, Jesus is God's solution for these problems. But these men of Issachar help us to see how we might apply that in the world today. You see, the times we live in, we also need to choose who our king will be. And we'll come to that in a moment. And it demonstrates wisdom. When we side with Jesus, even if the world appears to be going the other way. So the rightful king was being anointed. He wasn't yet on the throne. But people were coming and saying, David needs to be our king. And it is quite easy to see the comparison with the time we live in, don't we? There is a sense in which we live in a time in between times. Like David, Jesus has been marked out as God's king for every person of this world. He's died, he's risen again, he's sat on the throne in heaven, he's ruling, but we don't see him reigning over this world, not visibly in this public way for all to see. Just as people are gathered to David to say, you are God's king, you are his choice, we will stand with you, but they don't yet see him on his throne. And uh, uh, it's like that for us, isn't it? We look forward to the day, don't we, when we see Jesus reigning over the world, solving its problems, sorting it out in a public way when there'll be an end to suffering and sickness and pain and division and all that sort of thing that is a mess in our world. But we don't see it yet. But in the meantime, here are the times we're in, times of confusion and uncertainty, and God says, which king will you choose? Who will you stand with? We need to understand our times and know what to do. And it's an encouragement for you and for me this morning just to be reminded that we need to stand with God's king. Even if the world is going the other way. And the men of Issachar, we're not told that they had any weapons. We're not told that they were particularly uh, military but we are told that they had understood that this is the time to stand with God's king. And uh, we may not have much power. We may not have many numbers. Did you notice that out of those tens of thousands, did you add them up as we went through? Some of you were, weren't you? Maybe not. Uh, you know, there's, there's hundreds, uh, nearly 100,000 soldiers who've gathered here and yet we're told that 200, only 200 people 
came all the way from Issachar to stand with David as their king. So there weren't a lot of them. They didn't have all these weapons, but they did say, this is God's time and we will stand with him. And we need to be reminded of that sometimes. Though we, the world seems to be wandering away from Jesus, we live in a culture that is post-Christian in our culture, where Christians are not only thought of now as being rather foolish or stupid, but sometimes dangerous. Our views are, are viewed as being dangerous and undermining and uh, abusive to people and whatever it might be. And here we are, the scriptures are pointing us to God's king. And they're saying, stand with him. Even if there's only a few of you, even if you're not especially strong, use the wisdom God has given you to understand the times and know what to do. And so that's what they did. So what are the times we live in? Well, let's look at this first of all, shall we? Understanding the times. And uh, uh, there's an important thing for us to realize here. The men of Issachar clearly studied the scriptures. They had God's word, at least the first five books of the Bible. Uh, they uh, had prophets, particularly uh, Samuel, had been one of the recent uh, prophets of God, or the last judge, if you want to call him that. Uh, either way, uh, they had biblical truth in their lives. But what made them understanding is that they applied it. So they... Can I put it in a more modern way for you and me and say they knew the Bible, but they also knew how to live it out in their day. They knew the Bible uh, and the prophecies pointed to David being the king, but they weren't there just because he was strong or he had the most military men or because he was charming and, and good looking. They weren't there for those reasons. The word of God had gripped their hearts in such a way they would understood how to live God's word in the world today. Uh, they, they uh, as it were, were, were part of uh, the application. This is the application of God's word. They had insight to know what to do. And uh, it means that they were wise. You know, we have all this knowledge, but we don't know how to be wise. We can access information in a moment, but wisdom is hard to find. And the men of Issachar, they had understood what was happening in their world and they understood how to apply God's word to it. And it's, it can be difficult to do that because we're familiar, maybe you've read the Bible for years and years yourself, you've heard it preached, been many sermons and Bible studies, but how do you apply it to today? Maybe I could give a little example of this. Uh, recently, I did one of those food hygiene uh, courses to get my certificate. It means I'm allowed to cook bacon for our men's Bible study breakfast. Isn't that good? I'm authorised to do that. So, good. I've done that. And one of the things that, I don't know, do you have this trouble when you have bring and share meals and so on? Do you have to start filling out things to say what allergens are in food that's been brought? And uh, all, all this sort of stuff has to happen today. And... Um, uh, one of my biggest uh, questions, and probably yours too, is that in these courses that's usually asked is, we never had this problem 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, of course. And what I didn't know, and this was a great answer from the person leading the course, and she said, we never had these bugs 50 years ago. That's why they worried about it. Though... 
that's fine. When you were growing up and, you know, you, you ate dirt off the street, didn't you? From the sounds of it, you know, didn't do you any harm. But today, the bugs that are around that they're worried about weren't here 50 years ago. That's why it isn't like it was then. And the food hygiene course applies knowledge about bugs and harmful things to today's situation. It wasn't needed in that way 50 years ago because those bugs didn't harm or possibly be lethal in the way in which they can be today. And sometimes we can use the Bible in a way that applies the solutions to yesterday's problems rather than today's. The men of Issachar were not changing God's word. The principles are always the same. But they were, in their time, working out how to live it. What are the things that influence our time? What world are we living in where we need the application of God's word? Well, can I suggest a couple of things? First of all, we live in a society that is enthralled by expressing individualism. Let me put this a different way. This means that people have a desire to pursue their own path. They look for fulfillment by being themselves. It's a drive to be whatever you are and live in a society to assert who you are. It's to be yourself, your true self, to be proud about yourself. And this is a challenge to God's word and the church because the scriptures challenge us when our tendency is to look inward, God's word says we are to look upward to find our identity and our worth and our value. It's not found in ourselves. So here we have God's word that says we are made in his image. Human beings are all valuable. And here we have the times we live in that says, just be yourself. Be whoever you want to be. You can choose who you want to be. So the men of Issachar, over here in Koipenmain, want to know what to do. They say we need to look to God because he's the only one who really helps us to be the person we want to be. We're flawed, we're broken. You won't find all the answers inside yourself. Look to him because he values us. Or here's another possibility. We live in a society that says it's fine to be religious as long as you keep it private. It's true, isn't it? People say that. Keep it to yourself. Don't force it on me, they'll say. Now, that's uh, incredible because beliefs shape everything that happens in our society. So no one, not even atheists, have private religion. In fact, atheists are the worst for making their religious views known very often. Everyone has religion, but the challenge is for Christians, how do we live out our faith and live by the truth that we've discovered in the Bible when we live in a world that says, keep it private. And a world that says, what you think is good is different to what I think is good. Or there's another one, isn't there? The times we live in, where a number of people, I've touched on this already, see the Christian view of morality not just as old-fashioned, but dangerous. 
Christians have often taken comfort in the idea that as long as we distance ourselves from the strong voices uh, of the world, of, of you know, Christian voices that sound rather um, judgmental towards the world, then we're all right. But we live in a world, an age of moral revolution, a decade of moral revolution, where the beliefs of the Bible about what a family should look like, what people are like, how we should live together, what relationships should be like, uh, at that most basic level, they're in direct difference to the world today, aren't they? And people say you can do what you like, you can be what you like, you can choose whatever you want, and the Bible doesn't just come over with this old-fashioned idea that there are some things that God has designed the world to be like and so on, but it starts to sound dangerous because it attacks individualism. It says, God is in charge, not you. And uh, that is a conflict, a, a crash with the world. And one of the problems that we see in the church today is where the church compromises to such an extent it looks like the world, doesn't it? And uh, what do we have to offer if we look the same as the world? We have something much better. We have Jesus and his purity and his truth and his holiness as well as his love and his mercy, his forgiveness and grace. Some people have chosen to worship a king called inclusion. Now, the church should be an inclusive place. There should be no one excluded from the opportunity to hear about Jesus. It should be the most inclusive. But when people tell me that Jesus was all about inclusion, that's not a word I find in the Bible. It tells me that when people come to Jesus as they are, they never stay as they are. Jesus includes people when he calls them to himself and he says, go and sin no more. We're changed from the inside out. But some people have chosen in churches to worship this king called inclusion and acceptance and they've neglected the true king's call to repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sins and come into my kingdom. Or they've worshipped at the throne of another king called tolerance that says we all believe the same thing. The Bible makes it really clear. It's shaped the idea of tolerance in our society in such a way that Baptists were at the forefront of this who said we will defend the right of anyone to worship as they, their conscience chooses, whether they are Jew or whether they are uh, 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 Muslim or whatever. This is 600 years ago. It's 400 years ago they're saying this. Or having no religion... So they were at the forefront of the idea of tolerance. The Bible says we should tolerate people, not ideas. We can always challenge ideas, and at the same time we can respect people. Society has turned this upside down. It says that you have to tolerate ideas. You can't challenge ideas. You'll be called a phobic of some sort. Whatever they are, there's a lot of phobias nowadays, aren't there? So uh, to challenge any idea, suddenly we've cut across culture. And there are some Christians who then worship at this, this throne. They say, well, we've got to tolerate everyone, be nice to everyone. And we start saying that all, the, all ideas are the same, but they're not the same, are they? All ideas are not the same. 
Jesus gives us the mechanism to love people and challenge ideas. That's what true tolerance should look like. Um, uh, sorry, I've gone off track a little bit there, but... <laughs> But the men of Issachar, they grasped this idea. They'd understood their times, so they knew how to respond. And in our times, when people are being individualistic, when they're um, attacking the gospel, uh, rejecting God's word, when they're worshipping at the altar of things like, like I say, inclusion and tolerance and misusing those things, uh, can we use the scriptures to say all people are valuable? You see, I have not met someone who has no faith in God who can tell me why people are valuable. Are we just a, a slightly more complicated organisation of chemicals? Is that why we should value people? To be honest, I don't think I would value people just because they were a bit more organised in their chemical makeup than other things in the universe. I value people because I believe God made them and because he sent his son to die for them. That's why every person is valuable. Not on the basis of what they can do, but just their very existence makes them valuable. They are loved by God. He sent his son to save them. I, I think that we will see an increase in the abuse of people as people decrease in their faith in a God who made them and loved them. So here are just a couple of examples of the times we live in. How do we apply God's word to that? What's the solution for a broken world? It's a man who died on a cross. What's the solution for a confused world? It's the wisdom of God's word. And how do we know what to do? Well, for the people, for the men of Issachar, they were not backward looking. One writer put it this way, they were not antiquarian men. You know, the sort of people who, they just looked back on a wistful past. Their wisdom wasn't the, the wisdom of the ages. They weren't living in the past. Their wisdom was not either dreaming, poetical, sort of a hoping, wistful for a better future. They were people who in their own times knew how to live for the Lord today. Not like the people of yesterday, not like the people of tomorrow, but here and now they stood with David's king. And Jesus wanted us to be like that. He did say to the Pharisees, you can tell how the sky changes, what the weather's going to be like, but you can't discern the signs of the times. And Jesus himself was like this. You know, there are some times when he tackled his enemies head on and he put them straight. They asked him a question, he would answer, he would challenge them, he put them straight. And yet there are other times when he hid from his enemies. As she says, he was hiding away. Sometimes we're told he confessed before many witnesses the truth of God and in other times to the amazement of Pontius Pilate he kept silent. He understood the times. So sometimes it was right to speak, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes he gathered a crowd to, to him, uh, took them up on a mountainside so he could preach the gospel to them and other times he hid from the crowds. Because he understood the times. 
He was sensitive, responsive to the situation in knowing what to do. He said that his people should share the gospel with the world. But he also said, don't throw your pearls before the pigs. Share the gospel, but don't just chuck it out there. So he's, he's really telling us to be wise and sensitive in the way in which we live. So how will we do that? Is there anything here from the men of Issachar, understanding the times, knowing what to do, that, we, that might help us? Well, I think the first thing that we should say is that when we're working out how to live in the world today for the glory of God, we are only working out how to apply God's word, his principles. We are not at liberty to leave the Bible behind or change what the scriptures say. That's where I think some parts of the church have started going wrong because they've said we've got to adapt to the modern world and culture and so there's some bits of the Bible that we don't believe anymore. Yeah, I, well, uh, that's, that doesn't seem to be what the men of Issachar are teaching us. They were applying the principle to the modern world. That's why today we still have things like speakers and pianos and uh, guitars or modern music or uh, new ways of communicating the gospel while we're perhaps using our smartphones and there are some wonderful Bible apps and all sorts of things out there. All this technology to apply the, the, the gospel, the truth. It's not changing the gospel, it's just how do we do it in the world today. And our challenges here in the western part of the world are different to other parts of the world. Uh, I recently heard uh, a pastor, a well-known pastor from a church in Ni Nigeria, uh, no, sorry, Zambia, I think in Africa, Conrad Mbowi uh, is his name, and he said the greatest challenge facing African Christians is something called the prosperity gospel. He said the trouble in Africa is no gospel at all, it's not good news, he says on the radio, on the television, almost all you hear is a message about how God wants you to be physically healthy, mentally prosperous, sorry, materially prosperous. You never hear sermons, he says, about sin and repentance. In fact, there's a good example of a so-called Bishop Daniel, sometimes called Angel Obinim, um, a founder of a prosperity church. He, he dresses in white sits on an oversized chair that looks like a throne, and his followers approach him and throw banknotes at his feet, and he claims that Jesus has given him the right to 20 houses, eight Range Rovers, five super utility vehicles, three Chryslers, uh, and the list goes on. Another challenge for African Christians is what do you do when a new believer comes to Christ and they're married to two people already? Because polygamy is a, a, a thing in Africa. So what, what do you do when a man is converted, he's married to two wives? Now, that's their challenges. The men of Issachar in Africa have got to sort that out, haven't they? You want to know what they do, don't you? You have to look it up. I've not got time to. But for us, uh, what, what are our men of Issachar challenges? I've mentioned some of them. This individualism, this growing hostility to people of faith this sense in which we, we need to compromise rather than be different, and uh, 
Uh, for us, it means being different for Jesus. That's one of the challenges for us in Britain. The people of Issachar had often been discerning. It's the men of Issachar who ran to join Deborah and Barak in the time of the judges, while others like Reuben were being indecisive. And so there are two essential things if we're to understand the times and know what to do that I'd like to leave us with this morning. And the first is, like the men of Issachar, we need to pledge our allegiance to God's king. I'm sure you wouldn't be here today if you hadn't already done that. But can I ask you, put it in a different way, are you committed to Jesus Christ? Have you come to him as your saviour? Because there's no one else who will rescue you. Have you come to him and bow the knee as your Lord? Who else could possibly be wise and wonderful enough to take charge of your life? So that's the question. If we're going to be like the men of Issachar and show wisdom to live in the world today, that's the first thing. Stand with Jesus. Pledge your allegiance. Be committed to him. Your king died for you. Your king hung on a cross for you to rescue you. Your king sits on a throne for you now. Your king is praying for you. He thinks about you all the time, the Bible says. That's your king. I can tell you what, money and tolerance and celebrities, they don't do that. You won't find the answers on Love Island or I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Uh, none of them are going to help you, but Jesus, he is the king. Pledge your life to him today. Don't leave here without doing that if you've not done that already. But if Jesus is your king, here's the second thing. Live under his rule. And the men of Issachar were there to be under the rule of David, to hand the kingdom over to him, to say, you can be in charge of us. Now, if Jesus is a saviour who saves, that man I mentioned earlier from Africa, I heard him preaching recently about how in some people's minds in African churches, they think they can come to Jesus and they get their ticket to heaven and they can still live however they want. But some people think that still today. And he put it very simply, he said, if you were drowning in the water and you refused someone to rescue you, then you would still be in the water, wouldn't you? Now, if Jesus is a rescuer from sin, why are you still in sin? He's not saying that we, we're, we're going to live perfect lives or pure or whatever, but he is saying Jesus has rescued you from sin to be a different person. He's taken you out so you can be new, so you can shine for him in the world. So don't get back in the water. Stay on the banks. Live for him. And uh, that's, that's what it is to be a Christian. It's not just to say I'm committed to Jesus. It's saying I'm living under his rule. I'm doing what pleases him. I'm going to shine for him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to obey his command to be baptised if I'm claiming I'm committed to him. I'm going to share in the Lord's Supper because he said we should do it. Praying, said one man, will either make you Leave off sinning, or sinning will make you leave off praying. So prayer is part of living under the rule of Jesus. Holy living, moral living is part of living under the rule of Jesus. Christians should be different to the world. Fellowship will matter to us because the people here, they belong to Jesus and so do I. So they're going to matter to me. I'm going to meet with the fellowship. I'm going to love one another. And I'm going to share the gospel with my community. 
In the Bible it says, watch your life and doctrine. Because both things matter, what we believe and how we live. Many times we don't understand the times we live in because we haven't asked the Lord what he thinks about it. We've not read his word. We're not letting it shape how we approach the world. So I'm not talking about old-fashioned values or Victorian ideas. Talking about biblical way of looking at the world that says there's a God who made it, who loves the people in it, and that we're broken, and he's offered us his solution in Jesus. And Jesus commands all people everywhere to repent and come to him and live under his rule. Now, it doesn't matter if there's only a few of us who believe it, because only a few of the men of Issachar came to make David king. They came from a long way away. It was costly. It was hard, hardest for them to make it to that place, but they did it the same. And they knew that the times demanded that they side with God's king. So, they understood the times. We do need to understand the world we live in. We need to find out what we can about it. And then we need to pray, Lord, would you help me to live for you, to understand these times? How can I be a, a committed to Jesus and live for him in the face of the world I am in? And apart from committing your life to Jesus, if you haven't done that, can I make one practical suggestion uh, about how we might actually live this out every day as I close? And this is the practical suggestion. If, you're, if you've got a smartphone, probably you get all sorts of news feeds. You'll have your own personal streams of stuff that comes up on the news that you want to find out about. Who's doing this? Who's doing what? Uh, or maybe you an avid follower of the 10 o'clock news or perhaps you watch news night or maybe you read a newspaper and you know sometimes we read and we see things and we'll go oh this is just so complicated fed up with a lot of them now instead of that the men of Issachar would say God how can I live for you in this world how can I believe the truth of your word and apply it here? Make a little prayer instead of an expression of despair when you're reading your newsfeed on your phone or the paper or the telly. God, please help me to be wise, to understand the times. How can I face this challenge and be committed to Jesus as my king? That's what the men of Issachar did. And I hope that this morning it's helped us think about how we can do that too. They had a frail, weak human being, David. But David was the ancestor of God's true king, who all of us should stand with. So the next time we look at the news or watch the world, let's ask God, please help me to understand the times so that I too can live loyal to King Jesus, who you have sent to be my Lord and Saviour. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, we do live in a confusing and changing world, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the Bible in such a way that it applies to every generation. It applies the gospel, the good news of forgiveness, of amended friendship with God through the Lord Jesus. It shows us how we can live in a way that honours him and serves him. So here this morning, Lord, we renew our commitment to King Jesus to live under his rule. Because we see in the, these, this age we live in, 
uh, of half-truths, of falsehoods, of divisions, that there is a place where we can find truth and unity and true tolerance, what inclusion means, we can find welcome, forgiveness, transformation, all these things which you do by your spirit for those who stand with Jesus. So help us, Lord, to love and follow you, to be faithful and wise, just as the men of Issachar were, who understood their times and knew what to do. Amen.